Welcome to another real estate podcast. My name is Andrew Wetzel. I'm a full-time agent with Long & Foster, and I'm also a realtor, an associate broker, an ethics instructor, and a mediator. I've been moving sellers and buyers since 1996. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Today I'm going to talk about the seller's property disclosure and lead-based paint hazards forms. These both pertain, in this case, to the state of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania state law requires that a seller disclose known material defects, as described on page one of the, the form, in writing to a buyer before entering into an agreement of sale. Sellers should complete the form in a timely manner so that it's available when a buyer wants to make an offer, as they need to review it and accept it, along with presenting their offer. Unavailable or incomplete forms can frustrate a buyer and delay or prevent them from making an offer. While it's expected and assumed that a seller will make the appropriate disclosures, I've been involved in a number of mediation conferences where a buyer or new owner had a problem after settlement and questioned whether the seller had been completely honest. I am told that the form remains valid after settlement to some extent until the property is sold again. Obviously, the passage of time and what the new owner does to the house will impact it, but it's an important legal document and should be treated as such. An agent cannot complete the form. However, they should review it before making it available to other agents and their buyers. When I list a property for sale, I review the form to make sure that it's completely filled out, and while I do not know the client's house, and I do not know whether their answers are correct, I can tell whether the form has been completed. Generally speaking, for those who are required to complete the form, again I refer you to page 1, there are very few questions that do not require an answer within the checkboxes on the left-hand side of the form. I strongly encourage my clients to use as many checkboxes as they can to minimize unchecked lines. Here are some specific thoughts. Number one, initial and date the lower left corners on pages one through nine and sign and date page 10. Number two, read the entire section or paragraph before answering questions. Some of these are circular, and, and it, it, it's worth the time and effort to read the whole paragraph before you start filling things out. Number three, this is very important. Answer based on first-hand knowledge, what you know, not based on what someone told you. Even if the property is an estate or a flip, most sellers have some knowledge they need to share on the form, but do not rely on what somebody told you, especially if they're no longer living. Number four, Explain any yes answers. Be as concise as you can. Use additional pages if you need to. And please make sure you write legibly in case there's an issue later. Number five, answer all the questions, even if unknown or not applicable as the answer. Please do not skip questions or sections that do not seem to apply or jump ahead, as suggested, for example, on line 208 under the sewage system. Don't leave anything blank if you can fill something in, yes, no, unknown, or not applicable. In paragraph 16, other equipment and appliances, only check the items that are going to remain in the property, not those that are intended to be negotiable. I suggested sellers circle the words will or may on line 336 to minimize issues when negotiating an agreement and to avoid having a buyer assume you'll be leaving something for them at no cost, only to find it gone later. On a similar thought, some sellers leave things that they think are a favor to the buyer, and the buyer doesn't want them.
you don't want problems at settlement. Number six, due to the sheer size of the document, I often make the joke, as unfortunate as it may seem, that the property disclosure is about the same size or longer than the agreement of sale. When I started in 1996, the form was a legal-sized piece of paper, both sides. Now it's 13 pages, plus the lead, plus anything else you wish to add. Because of the sheer size, I encourage sellers to do it in steps. If you can do the whole document in one sitting, that's great, but it has to be done properly. Again, it survives settlement. I suggest using pencil in case you make a mistake. Crossing out answers or using whiteout may raise questions later. Number seven, sellers are expected to update the form if anything changes. We have an addendum for that purpose. One of the things that may be included here is the result of a property inspection. If a sale falls through, we can't just ignore the fact that the property was inspected. We can discuss whether or not what the inspector wrote was an opinion or not, but it's a conversation that we should have rather than just discarding or ignoring that document. Number eight, please let me know if you have any questions or need another page or form. I do not know your house, but may be able to explain something that's helpful. For those of you who have owned your property a long time, yes, the disclosure does require that you put something down even if it happened years ago. The form is not meant to scare you, but it's very important. And again, there are times where a new owner will think that a seller was a little disingenuous when they filled out the form. None of this is intended as legal advice, so if you have any questions, please feel free to contact an attorney. But as I've mentioned earlier, I've been in business for over 21 years, and I've seen the negative effects that a sloppy or an incomplete disclosure can have. And as a buyer's agent, I find it very frustrating when I can't get a hold of a disclosure or when I get a disclosure that isn't completely filled out and the ensuing process delays my clients making an offer. As far as a residential lead-based paint hazards disclosure form, here's a couple quick thoughts. Number one, this is a federally required form. Number two, do not assume that your house had lead-based paint solely based on its age. Not every house built before 1978 ever had lead-based paint, and even if it did, over time, houses are painted, papered, or different things are done to them that may actually encapsulate the lead-based paint. So unless you know that you have lead-based paint, please don't assume that you did. Number three, there are two paragraphs requiring initials, lines 12 or 13 and 18 or 19, and then a line for the signature and the date. Some people, I guess, after doing all the paperwork required with uh, putting a listing on the market, start initialing everything. So again, it's 12 or 13 and 18 or 19. Again, as I said earlier, this is not intended as legal advice. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. And as I always like to say, hire wisely. We are not all the same.